The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. This show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today, 1974, Part 8. In this episode, we will cover September 29th through November 3rd. The Beatles may be separate talents at this time, but their circle of friends is a small and common one. Contact between the former foursome might be limited, or in some cases non-existent, but it couldn't be denied that in many ways they'd be tied together forever. John Lennon comments. I feel close like you do to relatives, you know, but I, I'm not living with them. I don't feel that close as, as we did when we were together all the time. Obviously, I, I maybe see them every six months or something like that. So, you know, like I'm close to all my relatives, but I hardly ever see them. You know? On Monday, September 30th, John, feeling compelled to answer Todd Rundgren's rant that appeared in Melody Maker several weeks ago, types up a response at his apartment in New York. Lennon types the following. An open lettuce to sod Runtlestuntle from Dr. Winston O'Boogie. Couldn't resist adding a few islands of truth of my own in answer to Turd Runtgreen's howl of hate. Dear Todd, I like you and some of your work, including I Saw the Light, which is not unlike There's a Place, melody-wise. Number one, I've never claimed to be a revolutionary, but I'm allowed to sing anything I want, right? Number two, I never hit a waitress in the troubadour. I did act like an ass. I was drunk, so shoot me. Number three, I guess we're all looking for attention, Rod. Do you really think that I don't know how to get it without revolution? I could dye my hair green and pink for a start. Number four, I don't resent anyone but myself. It sounds like I represented something to you, or you wouldn't be so violent towards me. Your dad, perhaps? Number five, Yes, Dodd. Violence comes in mysterious ways. It's wonders to perform, including verbal. But you'd know that kind of game, wouldn't you? Of course you would. Number six. So the Naz used to do like heavy rock, then suddenly a light pretty ballad. How original. Number seven, which gets me to the Beatles, who had no other style than being Beatles. That covers a lot of style, man, including your own, to date. Yes, God. The only thing those Beatles did was to affect people's minds. Somebody played me your rock and roll pussy song, but I never noticed anything. Forever, forever, on the TV Will you, will you, get your destiny 
John continues, I think that the real reason you're mad at me is because I didn't know who you were at the Rainbow. Remember that time you came in with Wolfman Jack? When I found out later, I was cursing because I wanted to tell you how good you were. I heard you on the radio. Anyway, however much you hurt me, darling, I'll always love you. J.L. 30th September 1974 In October 1974, George Harrison works on his new album that he has titled Dark Horse. George spends four weeks in a non-stop recording session at his Friar Park studio in Henley. The stress of the upcoming American tour 
and the drive to get his album out before starting his tour takes a strain on his body and his voice to a point that he develops laryngitis. George's voice isn't the only thing to plague him. His affair with Ringo's wife Maureen and his divorce from Patty had become public knowledge. On October 1st, Atlantic Records released the single Let's Love by Peggy Lee. The song is written and produced by Paul McCartney. There was love all around, but I never heard it singing. No, I never heard it at all, till there was you. From the early days, Paul McCartney had his favorite female singers. Peggy Lee was one of them, and it was her song styling on Till There Was You that led to the Beatles' recording of the tune in 1963. I used to kind of sit at my home in Liverpool when I was a kid in a place here called Forcelin Road in a little council house. And I used to have my little record player, and I had a lot of Peggy Lee records. And um, that's why I did Till There Was You. Paul tried to thank Peggy a mere 11 years later. Uh, so when I heard that she was coming to London, um, I thought I'd wrote myself in on a dinner invitation, and rather than take around a bottle of champagne, I took her a song.
Cheers to Picardy. Also on October 1st in America, RCA Records released the single Subterranean Homesick Blues by Harry Nielsen, produced by John Lennon. Unfortunately, the single did not chart, and it sank. Nielsen put his fall in the charts in perspective and compared it to the olden days of yore. Back then, artists and performers were patronized by royalty who tended to forgive all manners of mischief as long as the artist was entertaining. But in modern times, the masses patronize entertainers, and the public just isn't as forgiving as the blue bloods of yore. They say, well, here... Uh, we like what you're doing, and this pleases all of us, all the general patrons, the ones we were just talking about, you know. And so all these people have agreed uh, in a sort of a democratic fashion in that we buy your records, or we see your movies, or we vote for you in an election, you know. You have the power, as long as you don't use it against us. And they started to leave when um, they saw the amazing amounts of abuse with drugs and excess and liquor. and So eventually they said, well, we're going to shift our our patronage to something else which is more important. I don't need you, I don't need friendship I don't need peace and harmony I don't need you And I know you don't need me I don't need love or affection I don't need flowers in the spring don't need you and you surely don't need me but we both want it bad enough yes we both want it don't we
my old age Like cluttered leaves around the tree I don't need you And I know you don't need me October 9th, John Lennon turned 34 years old. He celebrated by spending the evening with close friends at a New York club. On October 12th, John tells the New Musical Express, When we see each other, there's no tension. We get on fine. But I'm sure if we ever did anything, it wouldn't be until 1976, when the contract runs out. Together, we would sound exactly the same, only better, because we're all better now. The interview continued. Uh, recently in London, a play's open called John, Paul, George, Ringo and Bert, uh, and it's dedicated really to Beatle nostalgia. Uh, do you ever feel nostalgic about those days and discuss the Beatles? Yeah, I can look back and enjoy... I remember the good times more than the bad now, which is good. If the last time I saw Paul in New York, which was about a month ago, we talked about very early days a lot, and we had a good, a good couple of nights reminiscing about Hamburg and Liverpool. And now it's almost, it's so far away that we really do like it. I, I even collected Beatle memorabilia from the Beatle Fest held in New York. They had this rally with five or 10,000 people, in fact. It was very good. I got old Beatle posters and badges and all the jazz and Beatle bootlegs, so I'm a Beatle fan. And you say you're a Beatle fan, and I, I've always wondered, do you ever go home and play old uh, Beatle tracks from albums? I hardly listen to albums, only if it's on the radio I listen to stuff, and they're always still playing Beatles stuff. And whenever it's on, if I've got the radio on, I listen, you know. And when they put the repackage out, of course, I listen to that. And I have favourites, but there's too many to ever pick favourites. Still on the uh, subject of nostalgia, really, what happened to that album of oldies uh, you were going to make with Phil Spector? Uh, well, Phil had a car accident in the middle of it and was out of it for half a year or more. And I didn't want to start a new album, so I was just waiting and waiting to get hold of the tapes. And finally, I got hold of the tapes three days before I went in to start the new album. So I have the tapes in New York, and I'm going back to take a look, listen to them, and see if there's an album there. We only did nine in the end so i have to have a look at them see if it's worth putting out that's what happened to those 
enough of the past. Uh, do you see music today uh, taking any particular direction? No, pe people always ask the question, what direction is music going, or is rock and roll dead, or where's your music going? I think it wouldn't be much fun if you could see where music was going. I think it's best to just go along with it. It always finds its level. I think today's music is just an, as good and as bad as music's ever been, probably. And I think each generation sort of thinks its own music is a bit more important. I tend to think the 50s rock and roll was more important than what was happening now, which is probably not true at all. It's just all to do with emotions and who you were kissing in the back of the, the cinema at 16. And I think music is music and, you know, it's always good and bad. Well, first uh, Paul got back on the road with Wings and now uh, George has just announced in London that he's going back on the road. Uh, I wonder if there's any chance of you uh, joining them. Well, not exactly joining them, but uh, you yourself getting a band together. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Ah, the touring, uh, it doesn't thrill me too much because it's a lot of work and as, you, as you, the question says, I have to pull a band together. Uh, it's always a possibility, but I prefer the studio. S if I was talked into it, I'd probably do it, but I'm not too thrilled about the idea at the moment, but one never knows. You say you prefer the studio there, but it, musicians I've talked to, they, they still like the live performance. I mean, do you really miss performing? I'm always performing, my dear. <laughs> uh, sometimes I miss it, but, you know, I don't miss it enough to pull together a 40-city tour of America or a 30-city tour of Britain at the, at the moment. I think uh, I'm more interested in TV, but that's still a bit primitive about the sound on TV. Well, let's turn to the uh, new album. Um, first of all, how would you compare it with Mind Games? Very well, in fact. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, more commercial, as Dr. John would call it. <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe it's more light-hearted or something. I don't know what it is, but I enjoyed it more. And I think you will, too. Because <laughs> the critics were rather hard on mind games, weren't they? The English critics were harsher than the Americans, but that's their prerogative, because it's all in the family, I suppose. And... Some of it was reasonable. I don't mind criticism when they criticize the music, you know, and if they're intelligent about it. Some of the criticism was just criticism of me and my lifestyle, which has got nothing to do with the music. It wasn't as bad as they said. You mentioned there that they do criticize or have criticized your lifestyle in the past, particularly, I think, your relationship at one time with Yoko. And uh, do you think they were reacting against her and their criticisms of the Mind Games album? I think... Uh, there might have been a little of that. There was, I, I remember a couple of articles, or one in particular, where it seemed to be talking about Yoko and nothing to do with the Mind Games album. But uh, I think that's their problem. You know, mo there are probably guys that are 22 and, you know, the pimples are growing well. Well, let's ask you a pimples growing well question. <laughs> Why is the new album called Walls and Bridges? Because that's the title I picked for it, and it, I think I heard it on a public service announcement here in New York, and uh, they're the kind of things where they advertise for, you know, feed the people in Bangladesh or drug rehabilitation programs. I just heard somebody say something about walls and bridges, and it had some, it registered as something to do with communication, and maybe walls, uh, 
you know, keep you in or separate people and bridges, bring them together. And I liked it. So uh, could you tell us a bit about the um, musicians who are playing on it? Uh, I have musicians that are pretty well known to most people who follow that kind of thing. On the drums, I have Jim Keltner. On guitar, I have Jesse Ed Davis, who used to be with Taj Mahal. Uh, on acoustic guitar, I have a guy called Eddie Motto that probably they don't know, people don't know. Electric piano was Ken Asher, who also does the orchestrations of the strings for me. He also produces Paul Williams, by the way. Uh, ordinary piano or straight piano was Nicky Hopkins, the great oh, Nicky. Yeah. On bass, I had Klaus Vorman, who was a percussionist called Arthur Jenkins, who's rather good. And I had a horn players that was Bobby Keys, Steve Medeo, who's done work with lots of people, including Stevie Wonder. Howard Johnson, who's a great baritone guy, Ron Apreo and Frank Visari, for the aficionados who know who these people are. And there's a string section who, who I've called Strange, And me, of course, banging here and there. And, of course, there's my very famous friends, Elton John, who played piano on Whatever Gets You Through the Night and also sang the harmony on it. He also sang harmony on a track called Surprise, Surprise. And there's Harry Nielsen singing on another track called Old Dirt Road. So I would call them musicians of an exceptional calibre. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd agree there. Uh, let's hear the album itself. And uh, could you run through the tracks for us? Sure, I can run through the tracks for you. I just happen to have the track list in front of me. On side one, we have a track called Going Down on Love, which is very nice. And then we have the, the single next, Whatever Gets You Through the Night, with Elton yodeling with me. We sound like Patience and Prudence. In fact, some people thought we'd speeded the track up, but we didn't. We just... Oh, and then, amazing, following that, we have a track called Old Dirt Road, which is featuring Harry doing harmony. You can just hear him in the mix. I didn't realize I'd put them both together. And we have a track called What You Got, which is a bit sort of, I guess you'd call it R&B or Rocky. Then we have a track called Bless You, which is another of my favorite songs. And then we have a track called Scared, and that's the end of side one. On side two, we have Number Nine Dream, which is very dreamy indeed. Followed by Surprise, Surprise, Bracket, Sweet Bird of Paradox. <laughs> and then we have the very ironic Steel and Glass. Then we have an instrumental, which I've never done on my own before, which is called Beef Jerky. I think I've only ever done two before. That was Flying on Magical Mystery Tour, and George and I did one in Hamburg called Cry for a Shadow. So that's a very rare piece of work. And then we have my favorite piece of work, Nobody Loves You When You're Down and Out, and followed by a track which is not a real track as it were called yaya which is has my my son julian playing drums on it me playing piano and he was in new york with me and he looked like the studio and we recorded him he was always fiddling around with the drums and things so that's it get it off folks get it off on october 13th television personality ed sullivan dies at age 73 from esophageal cancer ed is best known as a television variety show host of the ed sullivan show who introduced to American audiences Buddy Holly, Elvis Presley, The Beatles, among others. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. 
gentlemen, your Mercury dealer and your Lincoln dealer present the Ed Sullivan Show, America's number one TV variety show, starring Ed Sullivan, nationally syndicated columnist of the New York Daily News. Prior to the Ed Sullivan Show, he was a newspaper columnist and wrote for such papers as the New York Daily News, the Philadelphia Bulletin, the Hartford Post, among others. Mr. Sullivan died at the Lenox Hill Hospital in New York and was laid to rest at Ferncliff Cemetery in Hartsdale, New York. Eddie, give me, give me good night. <laughs> oh, Eddie. Good night. In October, John was riding high with the positive preliminary reviews given to his Walls and Bridges album. Although he was still haunted by one musical issue intertwined with one legal issue, the Oldies But Moldies project. This specter of the past will have a deep effect on his professional musical career forevermore. Having reneged on the deal made with Morris Levy to record a few Levy Publishing Company's songs on Lennon's next studio album after Mind Games, Levy again threatened to sue John. Morris Levy, as you remember, owns the publishing rights to Chuck Berry's music catalog, which include the track You Can't Catch Me, which Levy had sued John for using a few of the lines into Lennon's song Come Together on Abbey Road. Now, as you recall, earlier in autumn of 1973, just as Lennon was about to record an album of oldies with Spectre, Levy and Lennon had settled the lawsuit out of court. The settlement included John recording a couple of Levy-published-owned songs, which include Barry's You Can't Catch Me, on John's next LP. By the end of 1973, the Spectre sessions abruptly ended and Spectre had taken all the master tapes with him. With Spectre in possession of them, Lennon began work on newer projects. With the next John Lennon album being Walls and Bridges, and Levy's settlement not made on Lennon's new album, Plus, John mocked the settlement with yah yah to get rid of that. Levy was angry. Levy once again threatened to sue Lennon for breach of contract. John explained to Levy what had happened with the tapes and Phil Spector, and assured him that he will complete the project. Levy gave Lennon use of his farm in upstate New York to rehearse the material. The drummer during the session, Jim Keltner. That was a real kick for me and Jesse. I remember we had a good time up there. We, uh, Morris let us uh, shoot his guns. After lunch, one day, he said, you guys want to shoot? You know, as we were admiring his guns, he said, here, give us the key to the lock. And I took out one of his, uh, I took out some Winchester liver action rifle, a beautiful rifle, and uh, loaded it up. And Jesse had his own uh, 45. He always carried this 45. That was the craziest thing to do, but he always had it in his bag, like an army 45, you know. And we went out uh, to the back, and there was an old boat out there, and we proceeded to sink it. <laughs> And it was, I, I, I found Morris to be a very charming man. I didn't know about any of his past at the time. I, I don't know what the situation is now even, but uh, it was a great time. It showed us a real good time up there. We rehearsed all the songs, and um, I remember thinking it was going to come off real good. And I, I'm pretty happy with the way everything came off. I, I liked it all, actually.
So John and Morris renegotiated their deal. John would record more songs to finish off his oldies project, and Levy would release it under his Adam 8 label. Musicians at Levy's Ranch were Klaus Foreman, Bobby Keys, Arthur Jenkins Jr., Ken Asher, Eddie Matteau, Jesse Ed Davis, and Jim Keltner. Well, we did some really nice, interesting things, you know, in between songs. John was a, an incredible rhythm guitar player, you know. I mean, I know you've heard that before. Uh, the guy just swung like mad. He was, he was just the greatest. Meanwhile, the deal Lennon agreed to with Levy was being questioned. Since John was under contract to Capital Apple and EMI, the negotiation was contested. Lennon pressed forward with his part of the arrangement in good faith. Lennon gave the rough tape of sessions to Levy for review. Levy, who felt betrayed before, had other plans.
With the band well rehearsed, on October 21st, John Lennon went into the record plant studios in New York City to complete the album once and for all. I did the rest of it by myself. John Lennon. Using the basic unit that I usually use, about eight guys. And I did it in about five days, you know, three tracks a night, you know, I just said rock and roll, okay, rock. We just went in, I rehearsed them a couple of days beforehand so they were loose. And we just went in and did like, take one, stand by me, take two, Bebop Balula. You know, the opposite of what was going on down on the West Coast, and this was a year later. The sessions, now titled Rock and Roll, would last for four days. I won't, I won't do, I won't do th Well, it's Saturday night and I just got paid. Morning, don't try to save my heart says go go have a time cause it's Saturday night and baby I'm feeling fine I'm gonna rip it up gonna rock it up gonna shake it up gonna bowl it up gonna rock it up and bowl tonight got me a date and I won't be late pick her up in my 88 shack on down to the union hall when the guts are jumping loud Teddy, that was great fun doing those things in live because those, those were songs that John really loved to do. Yes.
October 22nd, day two of the newly crowned rock and roll sessions takes place at Record Plant East in New York. As John works feverishly at the sessions, his album Walls and Bridges is awarded a gold record by the Recording Association of America. Yes, it's nice. Okay, okay. On October 23rd in America, at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel in California, George Harrison conducts a press conference to finally confirm his forthcoming North American tour. George's second big announcement was the one about his concert plans, with stops in England as well as in the States. He announces to the waiting press, I tried to squeeze in some concerts before Christmas, although all the places were booked out. Really, the feeling in the band was that we should do a gig in London. He also touches upon his good friend Eric Clapton, who is now living with George's wife, Patty. I'll make a musical rebuttal for Layla. I didn't mean music in what? Rebuttal? I mean, that sounds nasty, but kick off. I mean, I just like to sort that one out. I love Eric. Eric Clapton's been a close friend for years, and I'm very happy, you know, about it. And I'm very friendly with him, sure. I'm happy about that. Because he's great. I'd rather was, she was with him than some dope. <laughs> There's nothing to say, really. 
I mean, if you just get my album, it's like you are painting place. You know, it'll tell me exactly what I've been doing. One's called So Sad, one's called Simply Shady. Naturally, George is faced with the inevitable Beatles questions. And, as we've come to expect, his replies are honest and forthright. Question. What is your relationship like with John and Paul now? George. It's very good. I haven't seen John since he's been in the States. I spoke with him a lot on the telephone. He's in great shape. I met Paul recently, and everything is very friendly. It doesn't mean everybody is going to form a band. Mr. Harrison, what is the possibility that you and the rest of the Beatles will once again join together and become the Beatles again? Uh, it's a very slim possibility at the moment. Uh, it's very slim. Everybody's enjoying being individuals, you know. I mean, we were boxed up together for 10 years, you know. And uh, personally, I'm enjoying playing with this band, you know. The band I've been on tour. I mean, biggest break in Korea in 63 was getting in the Beatles. The biggest break in retrospect since then was getting out of them. Next, other reporters asked George about his spirituality. Is there a paradox between being spiritual and being on tour with a band? Uh, it is difficult, you know. It's good practice in a way because it's to be, like they say, be in the world but not of the world. I mean, that's, you know, a famous saying. You go to the Himalayas and miss it completely, and yet you can be stuck in the middle of New York and be uh, very spiritual. It brings out a certain thing in myself then somehow, you know, you have to look within yourself, otherwise you go crackers. Another reason for doing the tour was because I was turning into a lawyer or an accountant. I wanted to try and uh, get back to being a musician. This is really a test, you know, I mean, I either finish this tour ecstatically happy and I want to go on tour everywhere, or I'll end up just going back to my cave again for another five years. Bill Graham would be doing the promotion for the tour with Tom Scott and the L.A. Express to support on stage. As always, the Indian influence would figure in big. It should be sensational because uh, the average person, even if they're into Indian music in the West, uh, haven't really he heard too many things, you know, there's like Ali Akbar Khan, Ravi are the main soloists who've been around. This is going to give people who like the music an opportunity to hear instruments and see instruments which they've probably never seen before. One purpose of the tour, according to Harrison, was for Ravi Shankar to get the recognition he so richly deserved and wipe out those old stereotypes. Concept. Ravi Shankar, yeah, we know him, yeah. He plays the sitar, we don't like that. Those Indians, they're all lying on nails, they're all starving and hungry and not eating cows. And they're all pigeonholed like that. Now, he's traveled around the world more times than the Sputnik, doing one-night stands, earning sodol for 15 to 20 years after spending 10 years becoming the master of something which is obscure. People pigeonhole him, think he's a little Indian sitar player. Well, I tell you, he's heavy. He's heavier than all the Bob Dylans and John Lennons that you've ever had put together. At the conclusion of the press conference, itineraries are distributed and George's Dark Horse tour of North America is set and scheduled to start on November 2nd in Vancouver. Also on October 23rd, day three of the John Lennon Rock and Roll Sessions at Record Plan East in New York City. Oh, hold on, hold on, sorry. 
my cowboy shirt jumped off. Okay. If you next day, on October 24th, the final recording session for John's rock and roll album had begun.
By the early morning hours, the album sessions for rock and roll were finally finished. On October 28th, in a London High Court today, Alan Klein loses his legal case against John, George, Ringo, Yoko, and 28 English and American companies associated with the Beatles. The Vice Chancellor, Sir Anthony Plowman, gives Klein and his APCO companies leave to appeal. On October 30th, the famous photo of John giving the peace sign in front of the Statue of Liberty in New York is taken this morning by Bob Gruen. On November 1st, John requested court permission to question the Immigration and Naturalization Service regarding its motivation for their actions in deporting him. John charged the INS was trying to deport him due to his political views. Lennon, with his attorney Leon Wilds, also wished to investigate former U.S. Attorney General John Mitchell's role in those proceedings. On November 2nd, George Harrison begins a North American tour in Vancouver, British Columbia, with a weak voice from his recent recording. He was to play 50 concerts in 27 cities over seven weeks. His backup band includes Tom Horn, Chuck Findlay, Andy Newmark, Emil Richards, Tom Scott, Robin Ford, Billy Preston, and Willie Weeks.
November 4th, George and the Dark Horse Tour play Seattle, Washington.
bless you. As the Beatles continues, John Lennon gets the Elton influence. Jokingly, he was telling me he was going to do this Madison Square Garden concert, and he, he said, will you do it with me if the record's number one? And I did not expect it to get to number one at all. Wings turn out another hit single. Paul and Wings wiped everybody out with the jumpin' rocker Junior's Farm. And George continues his North American tour. like to continue with one of my comedy numbers. Next on Yesterday and Today. For more information or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at YesterdayPod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time. I'm Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts, Yesterday and Today, and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the show's As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? (laughs) Don't worry, we will. You can head to our social media pages, that's facebook.com slash yesterdayandtodaypodcast or facebook.com slash thirdmen, or you could head to society Six. Dot com slash Kaminsky Family Podcast. That's society, the number six, dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I Family Podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. <laughs> Guys, we need your help. <laughs> Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. Thank you, Dad. All right, we'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me. Oh, for God's sake.